This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And guys, coming up, we're going to catch up with Joe Theismann. Loved talking to him. He has so many stories from winning a Super Bowl, losing a Super Bowl, and of course, that unbelievable injury that we all remember. But also, he's got stories from writing books, giving speeches, and investing very successfully in the stock market. A really fun conversation. We also talk a little bit about that name change at his former team. But first, guys, let's look at some of the big stories of the week. Of course, COVID continues to be a part of just about every sporting event. And Lynchy, right before we came on, you pointed out uh, a team very important in the region where we all live, University of Connecticut, essentially saying we're out for the football season. Yeah, and that's a big blow because they just joined the Big East, and we talked with the Big East commissioner uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, they decided a decision was actually made last Friday, and it was kind of interesting how they did it. They had the director of sports medicine, then they had the members of the team's football team's leadership council and the board of trustees, and uh, every player that was there spoke and said it's not the risk is not worth the reward. And it was kind of uh, uh, unusual. Randy Edsel, their coach, um, saying that, you know, you, you, you can't put money first. He says uh, li- young lives are more important than money. And I wonder if that will resonate with some of the big five conferences that are around. But UConn, uh, you know, a, a first subdivision football team that has decided to cancel its whole season. Well, and Michael Barr, I mean, Lynchy brought up the – multi-billion dollar question there certainly worth hundreds of millions of dollars when you think about the power five because i went through a list and they all have a plan to play limited schedules eliminating non-conference games we've talked about earlier in the week the fact that notre dame is going to be temporarily part of the acc for football which they normally are not everybody's plunging ahead for the most part at the moment well two things about that one the uh, NCAA Board of Governors, uh, they recently said to all the colleges and universities, if a player wants to opt out, they have that option. And on top of that, you still have to honor the uh, scholarship. So that's one thing that's yeah. that's moving forward. But there's another story, and, when you, and we guys were talking about this, and this is out of Colorado State University, and th- these oh, are yeah. reports According to the Coloradoan, uh, a number of football players and athletic department staff at the university say they were told not to report COVID-19 symptoms, among other measures, diminishing health threats. That's according to the report. And if they did, they would be punished by uh, having limited playing time, whatever. Now, if that's true, that's just wrong. And, And we talk about money involved in this. Uh, there's no amount of money that is worth the health of a young man or a young woman uh, trying to play sports. 
Well, I have to say, I'm going to take this potentially to a slightly uncomfortable place, which is we talk about money a lot on this show, as we should. And increasingly this summer, we've talked a lot about money and race and justice. And at the same time that we're all wringing our hands rightly about getting kids back to school, getting kids back to campus, there does seem to be, I dare say, a little bit of a double standard at some times going on. It's like, but we got to have college football. Let's not overlook the fact that college football, every team, I think I can say this with a lot of conviction across the Power Five, they are predominantly populated by young black men. And that is a very uncomfortable thing, I think, for society to deal with. But we're at a moment where we have to deal with these sorts of things. And these sorts of issues, they're going to come to the fore. And to your point, to both of your points about player safety and players opting out, that's got to factor into this conversation, guys. You know, the coach of Colorado Strait is Steve Steve Adazio, who formerly coached at Boston College. And I received several emails from staff members of Boston College who were appalled but not surprised at the move by Adazio to, to threaten the players uh, not to report any symptoms or any COVID cases, and everyone must be at practice or you will be disciplined and you will be punished. And none of them were surprised because apparently he tried to uh, skirt some of the uh, – he, he, he was at odds with a lot of the team doctors, let's put it that way, during his tenure at Boston College. And so the temptation, again, there's a temptation on one hand to fill the team, to get revenue, and then there's – the smart decision, which uh, Randy Edsel made at UConn. And by the way, you talk about the yes that we're on that uncomfortable edge when you talk about race in sports, and and that transcends over to also the uh, the fight for racial uh, justice. And what just happened recently, uh, President Trump said that uh, he's not going to watch. Uh, he turned the game off for any NBA game because he felt it was wrong to see the NBA players kneel during the national anthem. And LeBron James spoke yep. out about it and basically said, bye, Felicia, and, and said, look, we, it's fine. We'll, we'll be without you. If you don't right. want to watch the games, you don't have to watch the games. I'm paraphrasing there. So this is not going away. So you have COVID-19. You have the, the, the demonstrations uh, that's going on now. And uh, it's something that's going to be around in sports for a while. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And and meanwhile, uh, speaking of the NBA, all systems okay for the moment when it comes to the bubble down in Orlando. I actually got a chance earlier in the week uh, for our Business Week show to catch up with Vivek Ranadive. He is the owner, the majority owner of the Sacramento Kings. They're not doing great basketball-wise. He conceded that. But he did say, man, credit to the league because, and again, we're crossing our fingers here. We're taping this on a Thursday morning. Things are proceeding apace with the NBA. Things are proceeding apace with the NHL, the MLS as well. Baseball, it's been a different story. But, Lynchy, I'll inject a little bit of optimism here. Baseball, they're still playing. They're still playing. And the Miami Marlins have 18 new members on their team. And Wednesday night, they beat the Orioles, which is no great accomplishment, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It is like beating a double-A team. Yeah. But... They did beat them one to nothing with 18 new players on their team. And, you know, the bubble's working 
for hockey and for soccer and for basketball. And right now, if I'm in the National Football League, I'm taking a good hard look at what's happening with Major League Baseball because the NFL doesn't have a bubble. And they are—they have just opened camps and rookies are going to start to practice this weekend. And this, is, this could be the next big problem we're talking about. But the bottom line is the bubble works and the NFL better take a good hard look at what Major League Baseball has been doing wrong. Today, delighted to be speaking with Super Bowl champion, motivational speaker, author, and investor. I've learned a little bit about that over the years. Joe Theismann, he joins us from Washington, where he made a little bit of history. People know his name a little bit there. About to record his latest audio book. Joe, how the heck are you? What's life like for you right now? Jason, it's good to catch up with you, Michael and Mike as well. Um, it's crazy, like everybody else. Uh, you're Every day you wake up, and it's sort of a new adventure. Obviously, as a motivational speaker, you spend 40 years of your life in front of audiences. Now I'm doing virtual meetings. Um, you sort of run out of all those things to do at home. I mean, you, how many times can you clean the garage? Matter of fact, what, I, what you find yourself doing is you clean the garage, you mess it up just so you have something else to do the next day. I mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's caused all of us to basically take a pause in our lives and figure out who we are, what we want to do, our relationships, our family involvement, everything that you possibly sort of put on the sidelines before now has come to the forefront. And it's it's, it's funny, guys, because people talk about, well, now we're going through a lot of change. Uh, I prefer to look at it as an opportunity. Uh, in football, for example, uh, we have a bye week. Every every team has a week off. And the coaches don't study uh, their opponents. They study themselves. Mm. And so if you want to look at these last five months as a giant bye week for ourselves, it's a chance to, to look at that pace that we were on, the commitments that we've sort of pushed to the background, the time we spent with our families. Uh, so many things now are presented to us as an opportunity to be able to sort of go with a restart, and we will. We'll be back. And the other thing that's funny, people come up and say, boy, I can't wait till we get back to some sense of normalcy. We won't. It will be something different. It's, you, you see the markets. The market, you know, so often we see gold run contrary to the market. Right. I mean, everybody said, but the market goes down, we'll get into gold. Well, now the market's going crazy, and gold's gone crazy. So um, all the all the quote-unquote, technicals that we're used to in the investing areas, all the technicals in our lives that we're used to, it's all a restart. It's all new. It's very interesting. You are the owner of Theismann's Restaurant and Bar in Alexandria, Virginia, and you are going through something that many other restaurant owners and bar owners are going through in this COVID-19 era, trying to navigate all through this. How do you navigate through a coronavirus pandemic? Well, uh, the PPP has certainly helped when it came to uh, easing the pain a little bit. But when you're only filling up 50% uh, of a restaurant and you still have 100% of your expenses, it challenges everyone. Um, my partners are the ones that basically run it most, you know, they run it completely. And uh, I know that we've been closed. We were, we have been closed for a long time. They have seven other restaurants that they've opened periodically. What we want to do now, what we're going to do with the restaurant I have in Alexandria, the Joe Theismann's there, is we're going to set up 
um, a foundation and a fund to be able to feed the needy in the Alexandria area. Our partners have done it in different parts of the country, and we want to be able to try and give something back. So it'll, we'll, the restaurant will be active. We're open now, but it'll also give us a chance to give back to the community. And that, that, that's something I think uh, is really important. You know, when I, when I played football, it was all about me. It was all about what I could get for myself, what I could do for myself. And then after my injury, uh, I guess you could say I had an epiphany and figured out that it's more important to serve others than it is to serve yourself. And so this is one of the ways that we're able to do that. Uh, people go to my website, for example, and want me to sign different types of memorabilia. I simply ask for a donation to St. Jude's Children's Research Center. I'm happy to do it, but I ask them for a donation. It's not required, but it's really nice to be able to give something back. And, and I believe this, you know, all of us, us, the four of us, you know, you put your head down on a pillow at night, and if you've done something for someone, you just sleep better. You go to bed with a smile on your face, and you just sleep better. And I think in this time that we're going through where so many people have so many needs, it's a great chance for us to be able to reach out and do what we can to help other people. Joe, it's Mike up in Boston. I'm going to hop in the uh, time machine here for a brief second. Back in 1970, when you were a senior at Notre Dame, I was a senior at Swampscott High School. And Joe Yonto came to our high school and said, you could be the next Joe Theismann. And my eyes just lit up because I wanted to be not only a quarterback like but Joe, Heis Joe Theismann. <laughs> I followed your career all the way through. You're still the same charismatic guy. Uh, you've reinvented yourself a number of times. Where did you take the leap to become an investor and a successful investor along the way with so many things that were going on in your life? Well, I, I've, always, I've always loved numbers. Um, math has always been a favorite of mine. Math and science were my two favorite subjects. I've always loved numbers. And then back in, actually, back in 1985 when I got hurt, um, actually it was 1984 when I signed what was at that time one of the biggest contracts in football. It was, you'll love this, I was, uh, I think, the fourth highest paid player in the National Football League in 1984 at a million dollars a year. Now, wow. to put that into context, um, Patrick Mahomes just bought a piece of the Kansas City Royals <laughs> and signed a half a billion dollar contract. And I think it's great. I'm thrilled for the kids. Go get whatever you can get. But when, when I sat down with Mr. Cook and I asked him, I said, Mr. Cook, now that you, you've given me an opportunity to make this money, you know, what do I do with it? And he said, Joe, don't ever be afraid to take a profit, no matter how big or small it is. But you always want to finish on the upside of the percentage. And I've sort of taken that in mind, and, and, and then I started talking to other people. I have a great financial advisor out in Denver, a guy by the name of Ed May, whom I speak to probably five, six times a day. I asked Ed one day, I said, Ed, tell me, um, do you have any other clients besides me? He said, yeah, I have about 100, 120 of them. I said, I don't believe you. Because the personal aspect of it with me is so great that he makes you just feel like you're the only person. He's very smart. And this is the thing that, that I've, I've come to learn about investing, is if you want to be successful at anything, talk to people that are successful. I read what Warren Buffett has to say. Um, I, I read different I, I study different stocks. I study different companies. Why, why is this company doing something? Why is that company doing something? What could be the next trend going forward? I mean, like, like, like we're talking about in, in the market today, you know, gold has gone crazy. Why? I mean, is, is it because 
you know, the the elections coming up, that's going to be a big factor. They're talking about debt forgiveness. They're talking about free tuition. Um, there are things that are, are coming up in conversation that I've, I think have sent people um, to gold. And silver's gone up accordingly as well. But I just, I, I love I love the entertainment. I, I used to gamble a fair amount. I don't anymore. Now the stock market to me is a place where, you know, you can you can get excited. You can right. get the adrenaline flowing. You just have to be smart about it. And and I say this to anybody out there listening: it's your money. It's your money. Um, don't just give it to someone and let them do something with it. Stay on top of it. Figure out, you know, if something you like, study it, right? Research it, and and then and then make decisions. But. It just, uh, it was it was fun. I mean, it just, it gets your blood flowing. And that, that's a little bit of the, we were talking about this before we started the, you know, visit here, is, is with, with so few sports out there where people don't really get a chance to gamble, and let's face it, people gamble a lot on sports. There are such little available to them that the market becomes the next alternative. Absolutely. Say, okay, well, I, I, can't, I can't bet on this game. I can't bet on that because it's not live sports. Um, but I still have this urge to try and make money, and it, it's a place where people go. Yeah, well, that's what we've seen with the rise of uh, Robin Hood over this pandemic. Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that big old honking contract that Patrick Mahomes signed, a far cry from what you thought and probably was at the time, an amazing deal that you signed in 1984. I do wonder what you make of the NFL right now at this moment. I mean, that was obviously a big headline, but then there are a million other headlines about players opting out of the season. We don't even know if there's going to be a season. What's the state of the NFL right now in your mind? Jason, I think it's in pretty good shape. Uh, the NFL has benefited from what we've been able to study with basketball, with baseball, and now hockey starting up. So I think the NFL being the fourth sport, so to speak, that's going to get underway in about a month or so, they've had a chance to look at the way each of these different sports have tried to protect the players and, and protection and safety is number one in everybody's minds. Uh, I just saw a thing, they, they had a little thing on TV just recently showing the Jacksonville Jaguars and how they, they sanitize things. Uh, different meeting rooms, uh, the quarterbacks are apart, uh, you know, a good distance apart. So there is social distancing. Uh, fortunately, we haven't seen a lot of occurrences of the coronavirus uh, in football. Isolated cases, coaches, some executives, um, and that's only to be expected when you get people together. I think there's going to be a, a football. Uh, I think we're going to see football. Uh, social distancing is impossible when it comes to offensive and defensive linemen. Uh, I think the teams that have veteran quarterbacks, the teams that are in veteran systems, are going to have a distinct advantage over like the six or seven new coaches that are coming into the National Football League where you have to teach a new system. Uh, you have to teach new terminology. It's going to be very difficult for coaches to be able to evaluate players. There aren't any preseason games. How do you evaluate a player? And there are certainly hurdles going forward. And I would say that the first three regular season games, uh, when they play, and I say that hopefully, uh, will be like modified preseason games. I mean, you've got conditioning you don't know about. You don't know... You know, guys are guys are going to get nicked. Guys get nicked in training camp. Now, all of a sudden, that's going to be pushed to the regular season. 
who's if let's say let's say you have seven wide receivers in a meeting room, and two of them come down with the coronavirus. Well, they're gone for two weeks. Everybody else has to be tested. But where do you find those other players? They're limited to 80-man rosters right now. So where do you find those other players to be able to fill in because you're going to be short on your roster? And there's certainly some hurdles going forward in the National Football League, but I think uh, they've met with the Players Association. Everybody seems to be on the same page right now when it comes to safety. And as far as opting out goes, that's all personal decisions based upon the families. A lot of guys have young families. Some their wives are pregnant. Others just don't feel safe in the environment. And, and you know, I think it was smart that the league gave them a chance right. for everybody. For for like everybody out there that that's in an office that isn't in an office, or that you're in an office that's only twenty five percent full of people. Everything we're doing right now is geared towards safety and getting getting to a point where we can be around one another and feel comfortable around one another. And the same thing applies to, to football because, let's face it, it's a business. And I, and I think they, you know, obviously they want to be able to have a season because you've got a heck of a television contract sitting there right. that needs to be fulfilled as well. You played for the Washington Redskins for many years. You followed Billy Kilmer to be the starting quarterback for the team, and you've been known – as uh, with the Washington Redskins for a long time. And recently, the Redskins, they have dropped the Redskins nickname now. Uh, your thoughts about that and uh, the, the evolution of what's going on? Well, I think that, uh, first of all, that you know it's happened, and so we move on from it. I was a part of a, something that was in Washington for 87 years. Now it's the Washington football team. And we'll have a name probably in the next year to 18 months. But I think it's, it's, it's a wise decision by the organization to take the time to evaluate what name you want to put on uh, the team, what, what do you want to call the team, what logo do you want for the football team. I think it's, it's an excellent decision to just take a step back and say, okay, what can we do that fulfills, you know, the – the, the fans' uh, anticipation of who we're going to be and everything else that, that goes with, you know, who we might upset, who we might not upset, what name works. Um, I, I think it's a very good decision for them to be able to take the time to do it. You know, we were a part of the history of, of the Washington Redskins. Now it'll be the Washington football team going forward. And um, I'm excited for the young guys to sort of start a new legacy there. Now, we were a part of the history of a franchise. Now it's a chance, of, uh, really a clean, as clean a slate as you can get for the young guys going forward. I mean, the average age, I believe, of this football team is 25 and a half years. Hmm. They were the sixth youngest team in football a year ago at 26. So it's a foundation for them to be able to build going forward, and I think a fan base the same way. As a businessman and as an investor, I have to think you appreciate the fact that ultimately what got Dan Snyder to move was money, right? I mean, it was sponsors essentially saying, we're out unless this change is made. What do you make of that? I think it's, you know, economics drives so many different things. Uh, certainly, um, when you saw like FedEx, Bank of America, Nike, Walmart, Target, different different companies saying, "Look, we're not we don't want to be a part of what you were. Uh, you need to make a change." What I find interesting is that I believe on July third, 
the announcement was made that they were going to look into it. On July 21st, a decision was made that there was going to be a change. So, uh, you know, if you take it to the broader scope of society today, within about 18 days, the Washington football franchise made a decision and acted on it. I think what we need to see in society is um, we've had a lot of dialogue about what should happen. Now we need to see action of things happening to move forward in different areas of society. So if anything, maybe it's a template to say, yes, if you put your mind to it, you can get it done. For whatever the reason is, it's getting done. Right. And also a reminder, just to go back and, and again, that, you know, when when the guys paying the bills <laughs> say that you need to change something, and we've talked a lot about this, in, you know, in areas that you surely appreciate, including Wall Street, and it's wrestling in many ways with racial inequality. Ultimately, this is an economic problem. We think about it as a social problem, but ultimately, it's an, it's an economic problem writ large. I think they're basically tied together. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I, you can't talk socially and economically in separate in separate ways. I think you have to understand that they are tied together, and that there has to be a way to be able to work um, work it out both ways. Joe, let me talk about your alma mater, Notre Dame, uh, joining the ACC this year. And um, well, we all know the great deal that Notre Dame has with NBC. Are you surprised that they relented and agreed to share that fifteen million dollar uh, deal that they pocket themselves with NBC to share it with the ACC? No, not at all. I, you know, they were they were sort of a part of the ACC before. I think six games were played in the ACC, and six were were non uh, non conference games. I think it's smart because you're going to be able to play football. There's 10 games scheduled, possibly an 11th um, to be determined. So uh, I think it just, it just shows that Notre Dame wants to support college football. And Notre Dame is willing to support the ACC because they are somewhat a part of it. And I think, it, I think it's a wise decision to be able to share. Again, we talk about it in this day and age where we are today right now, I think it's important that everybody has to look at what the best interest is for the whole, not just for one particular team or one particular conference. Uh, so I'm not surprised at all that we're doing it. It's interesting that we're going to play in the conference. People have been after Notre Dame to join a conference for years. Right. Uh, so now's a chance to really get a, a chance to look at it. It's like everything else in society today. There are things that you wanted to do that you never did, now you're basically forced to do them because you don't have the opportunity to do other things, and uh, you may wind up liking it. So, Joe, I have to get back to the world of Wall Street in part because, and I think you'll get a kick out of this, when you met me and Carol Masser just a couple years ago, it was in Atlanta ahead of the Super Bowl. You know, you're going through the Radio Row thing, and you know the drill, and we know the drill, and people come up, and they're hawking a product, and they do their thing, you know, whether it's Evander Holyfield or Luke Wilson or whatever, they, they got their shtick. You sat down with us, and you went so deep on crypto and CBD and all of these investments, and it was the first time that I had heard you say that you talked to your investment advisor four or five times a day, and you did a great job teeing up why you're interested in this and what you get out of investing. I got to ask you, what are you looking at right now? What are you seeing uh, in terms of opportunity? Because this has been a wild and woolly market here in 2020. It has. I, I think, you know, just for example, the Nasdaq's up 21% year to date. When you when you take a look at the Nasdaq and what it's been what it's done, and 
you know, what people don't realize is, is the Dow Jones Industrials is made up of very few stocks. I mean, there aren't a lot of stocks in the Dow Jones Industrials. I think, I think you have to be conscious now of, of possibly looking at value going forward. It wouldn't be bad for the market to take a pause. I'm very bullish on the market. I think it's going to be good, good, could even be great going forward. Obviously, November will have a big influence on what's going to happen, I think, uh, in the markets as we go forward. But, I mean, you know, you, you look at Tesla, Apple, Google, Amazon, you know, Facebook, Netflix. You think about people at home. I mean, you know, Amazon is just going to continue to go. I mean, we, we created a new type of society. And I think from an investment standpoint, you have to step back and say, what companies will serve this new society the best? I mean, I, I didn't watch Netflix, for example, until my wife and I, really were at our place in Florida and ran out of things to do. And so Rob had the account. I said, let's, let's watch it. All of a sudden, it's like, we can't, you know, money heist. We love that one. Uh, watch Ozark. Can't wait for that next season to come out. So, you know, I found something. And then and then as an investor, you know, I figured, well, geez, I'm doing it. I imagine a lot of other people are. And you look at the numbers that, you know, some of the companies are posting. Um, I still think gold is a viable option. Uh, going higher, it's 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 run a lot, uh, but again, I, I think there's a pause in the market that would be good, and then some rotation. Like I said, uh, the healthcare sector is another one. I, I think so much of the news is focused on a vaccine. You know, Novavax came out, I think, with the study they did in Australia, talking about there's a stock that was a twenty-four dollar stock. That's where I had it at twenty-four dollars, mm. and I'm not sure where it is at this particular time we're talking, but it's probably a hundred and whatever, 40 or 30, um, things happen like that. Uh, but I, I don't think you can just hang your hat on a biotech and say, I'm going to do this. I mean, you can, you know, you can look at different sectors and, and look at an ETF that may include a number of them, where if you want to be more safe in the investing area, you can do that. But, um, you know, and, and I still think cryptocurrency, as we, you know, we talked about it at the Super Bowl, um, it's a years away. I don't think the government's going to allow basically cryptocurrency to be that big a currency going forward. Hmm. Um, and then, again, depending upon elections, uh, the, the world of the cannabis. I mean, CBD is found in a lot of different things, and it helps a lot of people. So, um, you know, there's the medicinal side of it. There's the medical side of it. There's the recre- recreational side of it. I mean, this this is what I talk about when when I talk about investing in things. You know, what are the components? Uh, what does a company sell that interests you? First of all, and secondly, looks like it has a future. I mean, Pfizer, for example, is another one that's developing, uh, hopefully, a vaccine. There's so many companies out there, and when when the one that comes along gets it, you're going to see the others, uh, you know, Pfizer because of its diversity, Clorox because of, of where we are in society today. These are companies that I think will just continue to go well. But, but then there's others that are sort of the, the flyers, the, the companies that are working and hoping. And uh, whichever one gets to the finish line first is going to be the one that's going to, you know, have the biggest benefits, but there's going to be others that you're going to have to look at and say, well, it was a good run, but, and then the other thing is, I think, and this is something that you find in the world of sports, you find it in, in, in the world of gambling. You've got to know when to walk away. You've got to know when to cut your losses. If you're in, 
and I, and, I don't, and I believe this is short time and short term investing is is something I'm look I look at today. I, there's other stocks that I've had for a long time, Home Depot and some of the others, but um, I think now is an opportunity to to be able to trade the market, to be a trader, but. You can't just be married to one particular stock or one particular area. I think you need to spend the time to to look at diversity when it comes to your investing portfolio. And don't be afraid to walk. Oh, no, no. People will say, oh, you know, it's going to come back. It's going to come back. Nothing says it's coming back. So don't be afraid to make a decision. And uh, we... Like like Ed says to me all the time with different stocks, he says, Joe, there's always another sandbox out there to play in. (laughs) <laughs> and it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes when it comes to profits, it's like don't be afraid to take a cookie off the tray. Um, you don't need the cake. You don't need to be afraid to take a cookie. And and they're they're little analogies that just resonate. I think. I have to ask something fun. Uh, that's my job. I'm the goofball of the of the <laughs> you're trio. The, you're the fun. You're the you're in charge of fun. Uh, I'm the fun guy. It's <laughs> captain of fun. Captain of fun. I, I captain fun. I'm watching TV one day. My favorite show, Brooklyn Nine Nine, is on, and all of a sudden, I see you on there. One of the funniest episodes in a long time. You you've had a lot of fun with some of your acting appearances in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, you also did uh, Cannonball Run too. Can can you talk about that? Just the, the fun you had on these sets oh, and the acting. Well, with you know Brooklyn Nine Nine was great with Andy and uh, and Adam. Uh, Adam actually shot it. wasn't there with us, but Andy was. And I mean, they're guys like that. I mean, satirical actors to me are just geniuses. I mean, they just the improvisation that they bring and. Obviously, they're scripted, and, and then they just they just take and own the character. And that's the one thing I, I learned in doing the things I've done, is you just want to take and own the character. Um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine was a ton of fun. That was one where, you know, you broke my other leg. And I broke the line that I used at the end. In fact, they were kind of Dan Gore, who produced it. Dan said, are you okay with us doing this? He, you know, he got permission from me. I said, yeah, sure, it's fine, no problem. I'm doing well, so I, you know, there's no problem with it. Cannonball Run 2 was an ensemble of actors that and actresses that you know I just you dream about I mean Don, obviously Burt Reynolds Dom DeLuise uh Charles Nelson Riley Dean Martin Sammy Davis Jr Frank Sinatra Charles, uh, like I said Charles Nelson Riley Jackie Chan uh Jamie Farr Richard Keel who used to play all the jaws movies um I, I mean it was it was fun. We shot it out in old Tucson. And Hal Needham, uh, who was the director and head of stunts and everything, was out there. And, you know, Bert and I had become friends. I met him uh, in Las Vegas. And I'd travel to Florida State with him to go to practices. And we just became friends over time. And um, unbelievably giving man uh, he was. And he always used to stick us athletes. And Terry Bradshaw was in the first one, Cannonball. Mm-hmm. But we had the, the thing that amazed me is during one of our breaks out there in old Tucson, Sammy Davis Jr. would twirl his six shooters. I mean, he was amazing. I mean, that's the thing that jumped. Of all the the shooting we did out there and everything, being around everybody, and you find out that they're just great people. Every one of them was just wonderful to me, and it was a great time. But watching Sammy, everybody's 
sort of at lunch, and Sammy's got his guns out, and he's throwing going, wow, this is unbelievable. Well, here he did I the am, rifle, man. You sitting here that. watching yeah. Sammy Davis yeah. Jr. twirl six shooters. <laughs> Who gets to do this? I mean, how lucky a guy am I to be able to do it? Yeah. And then, and then Bert, you know, in Bert's movies, he would sit down and, and rewrite the script the night before. I was in his trailer one night, and he said, I'm going to throw some more lines in here for you. What do you think? Uh, and I said, I'm not sure. He said, well, you know what? We'll just we'll deal with it when we get to the set tomorrow. But let's, you know, and, and he loved football. As a matter of fact, uh, I spent an hour on the phone with Bert the night before Super Bowl 17. We played in Pasadena, California. Um, nervous as heck. Just wanted to talk to a friend. So I called Bert. We spent an hour on the phone uh, Saturday night after our meetings, uh, just talking about life, talking about movies, talking about football. It's a huge football fan. And, and so it was, uh, you know, it was a great experience for me. And then now I get a chance to do some Hallmark movies. I did uh, Love on the Sidelines mm-hmm. and another movie called Snow Coming yep. that I've done over the last couple of years. But I've enjoyed dabbling in the uh, in the arts, I guess you could say, a little bit. But it gives you a real appreciation for how hard actors work uh, and actresses work at their profession. Um, they're good. And that's why... I, I watch movies now with a whole different perspective than I did before, but it was fun. We, when we were shooting out in old Tucson, there was an airport they'd shut down, but some guy took off on one of these little planes, just made all the noise in the world. And it didn't have a radio in it. And we're trying to shoot and the planes are around all over the place. So I'll say to one of the guys, just go get me my gut. <laughs> Don't get me my gun. I mean, it's every every minute goes by is costing money out there. I mean, you got this ensemble of people is unbelievable. Just go get me my gun. We'll get him down. Finally, finally, he landed. Had no radio in the plane. Just buzzed around for about half an hour. It was it was crazy. And Dom DeLuise, I mean, just the ultimate straight man. Um, just been just like I say, these these people I've I've had a, I had an opportunity to get to know and appreciate so much. Now for now, some of the young people out there, they're going to have to Google all these names. Right. But that's fine. <laughs> I know exactly. That's right. That's BJ right. and the Bear. What's yeah, that? Exactly. <laughs> well, Joe, I'm involved in a couple of things up here in Massachusetts with the high school financial literacy, credit for life programs, trying to get high school and young kids entering into college to have some financial awareness because sooner or later they're going to have to learn about IRAs, 401ks. Um, they're going to have to learn how to put their paycheck someplace else after they get out of college. When is the good age for someone to start in looking at the market and becoming just sort of dabbling as an investor? I, you know, there's, I think there's two different things. Looking at the market, market and dabbling are two really different things. I think you can start as early as 10, 11, 12 years old if you have um, an affinity towards the market, if you're interested in the market, if you're interested in finance that way, I think you start looking at it, studying it, um, and, and being able to, you know, comprehend dollars and cents. I, I, you, I think you have to have money that you can put into it to know that you don't need to live off of it if you're going to be an investor. You know, investing in the market is not a place, it's, 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 it's a job for a lot of people, but you're taking a tremendous amount of risk. And I, I don't know the exact age. I will say this, though, you're dealing with high school kids. Um, right now, more and more college athletes want some kind of pay. If you wind up paying college athletes, that's going to be income to them. 
So you're 18 years old entering college, and you're a, a pretty good football player or basketball player or, or, or any sport that's going to compensate you as a collegian, which I don't agree with. But anyway, that, you, you better be prepared to figure out what the taxes are going to be on the money you make. Um, so I, first of all, I would take a finance class. If I was in high school, I would, I would take a finance class. Understand finance. We have guys in professional football who can't write checks. And and I, I've had so many discussions. I did a financial advisors meeting up in Boston about seven years ago. And I talked about the fact that 78%, there was a statistic published, I believe, it could have been in Newsweek or Time, one of the, uh, one of the magazines, and said that 78% of football players within two years of leaving the game are either financially broke or bankrupt. They're either destitute or bankrupt. And, I, and some guy came up and said, that's ridiculous. That's just terrible. That should never happen. The National Football League has to do something to help the players. They do. They provide all kinds of opportunities for guys to be able to understand their own finances. And if they wanted to move into investing, they provide that opportunity as well. It's just that a lot of young people don't want to seize the opportunity. They have other advisors. They have other people that are in their ears. And this is why I constantly tell young football players, remember who works for who and remember whose money it is. And this is a very short-lived profession. The average time a guy plays professional football is about 3.5 years. So if you come out at 22, by the time you're 26, 27 years old, you're going to be on to another profession. And you should find another profession. Find something that you enjoy, that you can transition into. You know, the the contracts that we see quarterbacks getting and, and some of the stars in this league, these are far and few between. Right. Don't get hung up on a half-a-billion-dollar contract to Patrick Mahomes or, or, or uh, you know, J.J. Uh, Watt or anybody that's going to get these big numbers, just you know, treat it treat it like it's it's something that you want to protect for your future and for your family's future. So, Joe, just as we wrap up here, I do wonder, given that we've done this sort of like this is your life sort of tour of all your different interests, and you <laughs> rightly pointed out that you know the world is going to be different on the other side of this, and I do wonder. What do you anticipate, or and maybe you already know, what post-COVID life is going to look like for you? What are the opportunities that maybe you didn't have before or opportunities that are changed? What has been, maybe a better way to ask it is, you, know, you talked about this like five-month-long bye week. What's the one thing you'll take away from this? The, the, the time spent with the family. I think before this, the, the COVID virus came, most people were on remote control. You did certain things, you, you had certain habits, and just life went on in a certain way. What the COVID virus has done, COVID-19 has done, is it stopped everybody dead in their tracks. And I, I think it's given everyone a chance to, to look at the relationships that they have, both in the business world, when we get back around people, the way we treat one another, the way we talk to one another, the way we the way we do our jobs, and also our family relationships. That's the thing that, you know, my wife said something the other day. She said, you know, I like you retired. Hmm. I, I like spending so much time with you. I mean, I did 70 presentations a year, plus other commitments to work that I have. Uh, and she said, I just really like, I really like spending a lot of time with you. I mean, I was laughing one day. Uh, a guy sent me a cartoon, and it said, there was a guy sitting on a couch next to uh, next to his wife, 
uh, which he, he didn't know. He said, there's this lovely lady sitting next to me, and you wouldn't believe it. She introduced herself as my wife. <laughs> um, I mean, we get going so fast, or, or our, our partners, we just don't take the time to appreciate them and understand them and, and listen. And so I, I think that's another thing during this pandemic. I think it's important that we do a lot more listening right. than, than talking to a degree. Um, and you know, sports is going to come back. I mean, we're, we're going we're to get on the other side of this. I think more and more people will work from home. Yeah, they found that they can do things virtually. They found that they can be efficient. Uh, they found that they don't have to get in a car and travel an hour, two hours on the road. That you do have the time to be able to do it. So that's going to be one of the biggest impacts I think we'll see. Will be more and more people working from home. Uh, they talk about the percentages of people's people that have to be laid off. I mean, um, different companies, you know, have had to lay off or uh, furlough. So many people, and then I think statistics say that they may not go back to that same job. Um, and, you know, you have robotics to consider. And, you know, how many people are going to be displaced at their jobs because of robotics? I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things that are going to happen in society going forward that I think we need to, as we've learned during this five-month period, we're going to have to learn it going forward again. It's going to be a new process to learn. And I am, and really... You know, I wrote a book called How to Be a Champion Every Day, and I took the world of sports, the world of business, and our own lives, and I created parallels. And through the stories that I tell in the book, it really takes those three areas and shows just how much they're alike. And I really figured out how to do that after after we won the championship in 82. I spent a lot of time at, at corporate functions, and I listened to what people were talking about. They were talking about goals. They were talking about attitude. They were talking about relationships. They were talking about motivation. They were talking about teamwork. I said, gee, those are the same, same things we talk about in football. Yeah. And so um, that's the reason why I wrote the book. It can be, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at bookstores. Uh, like I said, I'm about to sit down and start recording the audio book. There you go. Well, we really appreciate it. It was such a treat to catch up with you, and and you certainly were one of the people as we were sitting down and figuring out who do we want to talk to amid all of this. You were top of the list. So, Joe Theismann, thank you so much. It would take another whole segment to talk about all the different things you've done, but in brief, you are obviously a Super Bowl champion, an author, a speaker, and a very successful investor and a very thoughtful guy, as you have just proven. Thank, Thank you, you so much. I, I really appreciate the chance to spend time with you. And I, and I say this to everyone listening out there, please stay safe. We got to uh, different phases because we were smart with our masks, with our cleanliness of our hands, and with social distancing. Now's not the time to get too comfortable and think that we're past this. All right, Joe. Be well. See you soon. You too, Thanks, guys. Joe. Thanks an awful Thank lot. Thank you. So, guys, Joe Theismann, that guy delivers. I, I, I love him. Uh, you know, the first time I met him was uh, ahead of the Super Bowl down in Atlanta. And once he gets rolling, uh, he just he just goes. And, you know, Michael Barr, not the typical ex-athlete, I think it's fair to say. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm just impressed with his business acumen. And, and as we all know, I mean, he spent a long time with the Washington Redskins. Uh, and it was interesting to to get his thoughts about the name change now for the team. Uh, he was part, as he said, he was part of that team's history uh, for a team that's been around for 80-plus years. So it was interesting to to hear his thoughts about the name change. Lynchy, what do you think? 
Well, I thought the unselfishness uh, when he was talking about when he was a player, all he thought about was himself. It was always all about me. But as the years passed after he stopped playing, he thought it was more important to serve others. And I thought that was really a telling tale because not many professional athletes think about anybody but what they see, the person they see in the mirror. So I was impressed with that. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, boy. Seven. And that's all you get. Oh, that's an easy one. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Play along at home, folks, but this is an easy one. Seven. All right, Lynchy, go for it. Well, it was Joe Theismann's number at Notre Dame and Joe Theismann's number with the Washington Redskins. Ding, I'm going to go with that. Ding, ding. <laughs> God, here I was like thinking of like number of positive COVID tests for which team. Well done. Well done. Yeah. He uh he wore it well. And you know, it, it is interesting and you know, in previous conversations with him, we have gone deep on that fateful injury that has just become legendary just for the graphic way that it played out on TV, but uh, talk about bouncing back. Yeah, he, uh, boy, he everything, an author, an investor. Uh, we all know he's a, a great analyst on football yeah. and uh, public speaker. I mean, he doesn't have an off button, basically. He's no. the Energizer Bunny, right? I mean, he's just const- constantly going and going and going. Yeah, I, I was actually glad, you know, one of the things he said to us off air was uh, that uh, his wife was glad to have him back uh, around so much. I would, I was worried that his wife might say, you're driving me nuts. Get back, uh, get back out on the road. All right, you've been listening to Blue Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here with you each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. Those drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me at Twitter on Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.